0: Hello, this is Jesse Liberty, and this is yet another podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to have Mads Christensen of Microsoft and of utility fame and Visual Studio Extensions and many other things we would like to talk about today. Mads, how are you? Hello, Jesse. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on your uh, show. Well, thank you for being here. It's very exciting to have you. So I'm not quite sure where to begin, but the place that I uh, became aware of your work was on the—I don't know if you call them the Essentials extensions or the. the uh, there was a set of extensions fairly early on that you created.
1: Yeah, they were called Web Essentials. Web Essentials. That was essential. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was my kind of foray into Visual Studio extensibility, and I was uh, I was on the, the Visual Studio Web team, so I, which is technically at the time was the ASP.NET team mm-hmm. back then the ASP.NET team was separate from the .NET and they all got combined uh, when we went and did the whole .NET core or Project K. When we started Project K, there was then an effort because that had to, you know, we had to rewrite all of .NET in order to do ASP.NET as well, right? So the efforts were combined and, and, you know, new organization was created. But at the time, back then, ASP.NET was separate. It was actually much closer to kind of the Visual Studio tooling side. And so I was the Visual Studio tooling program manager for parts of sort of the web development experience. And, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what went into Web Essentials was, hey, just me as a web developer. It would be cool if I could do this thing in Visual Studio that right. I've always wanted to do when I build websites. And so a lot of, a lot of it came from there. Um, and of course, a lot of the things we built into Visual Studio to the CSS editor, HTML and all this sort of stuff. But, but that takes a lot longer and goes through a lot of quality gates and testing and whatnot versus me just like slinging some code <laughs> onto the wall, right? Right? And you know whatever sticks, I ship. So that's a much lower sort of uh, impact kind of development, and therefore much faster. So I got to start
0: with with the obvious, which is: Can you tell me a little bit about the actual
1: coding process of creating a V6 and how that what that's like? Yeah, and also maybe how it changed over time. So the first extension I wrote was in 2010 for Visual Studio 2010 Service Pack One. Remember when we had service packs? Oh yes, do. <laughs> Um, and that was a very hard thing to learn how to do because there was no help, there was no documentation, there was no examples, there was no GitHub where I could go out and find hundreds of existing extensions that have solved the same type of problems that I wanted to solve to learn from. And so everything was like trial and error and trial and error and again and again, and, um, and, but you know I managed to to do some things and of course I got some help from inside from some of the engineers on the Visual Studio team right so it, it's I, I was able to cheat a little bit in that sense but um, but it was very hard and so so what it was was originally was that when you started a new what do we call a V6 project V6 stands for Visual Studio IDE extension. I never so, uh, knew that. That's good to know <laughs> at least that's what I think it stands for. <laughs> It has never been confirmed nor denied by anyone that might know better. Okay. So... So that's what i'm going with visual studio ide extension so when you create a new project like that you get a bunch of files like you do with any new project you create but with this particular project template you got a lot of things you didn't know what did (laughs) Uh, and it was kind of confusing because the compiler sorry not the compiler the the uh, build tasks that were specific to building your project and creating what's called a v6 file so the file extension is literally v6 v-s-i-x Um, you know, that's obviously different than a DLL or an XE. We kind of know how the compiler does those things. But a v6 is a is a zip container with a different file extension that hosts that has all the DLL files and all the artifacts that you need. And so it's just a kind of a different thing from the get go. And you don't really know how that process worked. How do things get into that v6? How do you prevent certain things from getting in there? And all those different files, how do they even compile into other things that end up in there? That was that was some of the, the the weird things was was you had like certain artifacts that you had to change it could be XML files but they wouldn't end up inside the, the V6 so, so how did how did that process then work and so then you learn oh there's an MS build task somewhere that takes that XML file and comp you know, basically figures out how to compile it into code that goes into the DLL. So it's like a pre-compiler, but you don't know, right? So everything is very mysterious when you see this for the first time, and for the tenth time, for that matter. <laughs> um, and over the years, it's actually gotten better. So there's, we were able to. I became the, the PM for the extensibility team at some point, and I did that for a couple of years after I did the web, the web team. And I was able to scrape out all that sort of boilerplate and ceremony and all those files that we don't really need. Uh, but I didn't finish, so. As I left, I, I actually gave them here. Here's what I want you to do. <laughs> Here's how we clean it up even more, right? Here's how we create something really easy to use relative to before. Um, But, you know, I left, priorities changed. Uh, The work started on the whole 64-bit transition, which um, required the extension team to do a lot of different type of work. So they never really got to that point, which is okay. But um, yeah, so it's a lot easier today, but the learning curve is steep. Uh, It was steeper. It is still steep, but not as much. Uh, And then we can also talk about a new toolkit that I've helped create with the community to make it even easier easier so um but yeah that was kind of the history of that how it it, it used to be very hard it's much easier now still hard but much easier it, it it seems magical because it's not just that you're
0: getting additional functionality but it's totally integrated into visual studio mm-hmm. it integrates itself into the menu system or or into the um uh what are the pop-up menus called there's a name the context for that. menus context menus thank you yeah. Um and and so is this because Visual Studio was designed to be extensible, or are you doing some kind of magic?
1: yeah, it's it's totally designed for that. So the when we built when the teams built features in Visual Studio, they use the same extensibility mechanisms as we do. if you if you search, uh, around and go into the visual studio install directory and you know what you're looking for you can see that oh pretty much everything in there are just like ex- they're just extensions but they ship with visual studio so we don't consider them extensions but the way they're built are the same they use the same apis they use the same NuGet packages for like the vssdk right that has the the api in them so that is all the same so we dog food is what we call it we dog food our own apis that way and we always have so that that's a really really great uh, great way of doing that, which also means that it's a it's a native way for us to to add features to Visual Studio. Whether you're a first party extender, like you work on the team, or you're a third party extender, like anyone who wants to write an extension, it's the same. We can show up in the same menus. We we can affect the text editor the same way. There's no difference there. Now there are some APIs that we say these are internal APIs. We don't we have not added them to the VS SDK uh, because they're not stable or they we don't want people to extend here in these for, for various different reasons right and so um, we might have um, we might have hidden them away like you can actually still get to them but we're not going to tell you how <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, because there could be performance issues with, with, with if you use those right you could affect performance negative in certain aspects of Visual studio so we don't want you to play with those. Um, but, but other than that, it's, it's the exact same thing and it's WPF. So, so let's say that there's not an API to get your UI into a certain place. Well, because it's WPF, you could actually walk the tree and inject your controls and whatnot exactly where you want. I, I, I don't recommend you doing this, but you totally can. And I have. (laughs) So,
0: so tell me, let's not get too far into the weeds, but tell me Mm -hmm. what the process is like from. From concept of a of a new feature through getting that into Visual Studio,
1: mm-hmm. I'd say that the the hardest part. Well, I can say that from my perspective because I'm I've I've written so many extensions that I kind of know how to implement things in Visual Studio. For me, the hardest part is figuring out how should the user experience be because what you want is something that feels native to visual studio you don't want an extension that feels like it's been tagged on and it doesn't really belong there and it's like doesn't look the same and it's weird right obviously you don't want that so you want something that feels like it's just a part of visual studio and the trick is how do you make your feature light up in a way that is easy for your users to discover and to use without being noisy or in their face when they don't need it and that's actually a lot harder than it sounds and um, so, so I I spend a long time to just kind of brew on on these ideas in my head, and once I figure out okay, this should be the user experience, then I sit down and I create a new Visual Studio V6 project, and then I start coding. And what I do nowadays, instead of using the VS SDK directly, I use an extension called the, called the Extensibility Essentials. Okay, so this is just like we had the Web Essentials. I now have an, an extension pack as well for, for extenders called Extensibility Essentials. And that gives you a bunch of tooling for writing extensions, but it also gives you a new project template. And so when I go create a new v6 project, I actually use this extensions project templates, which gives me this very clean looking project template. I I'm, I know exactly where things are. There's not a lot of things. It's, it's much simpler and um and it's th- and those templates they're not using the visual studio sdk as is they use something called the community visual studio toolkit which is a NuGet package that sits on top of the vs sdk so you're still using the visual studio sdk under the hood but you're you have like a you can talk to like this wrapper layer called the toolkit that makes it a lot easier to use the apis because those apis in visual studio are old they're based on COM. they are uh not sort of um Modern async await all that sort of stuff. They're 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 synchronous. They're old. They don't feel .NET. They feel kind of like a, a native interrupt, which is what they are. And this toolkit takes care of all that and gives you like a uniform way of finding and using the Visual Studio SDK. And so you're set up with that from the beginning. And so now my development is much more streamlined because everything is now set up the way I I, I need it. I have very, very easy way to add commands and tool windows and toolbars and all this sort of stuff. Um, put messages in the status bar, create a new language if I wanted that, uh, which I've, I've done like several times. Uh, and it, it just simplifies things greatly. So it, it does it so that I don't have to do any ceremony and I can concentrate on sort of the business logic only, right, and the user experience. So that's what I concentrate on when I sit down and I build out my feature. Every time I compile, a v6 is generated like in the bin folder, like the .v6 file. And that's the file that I'm going to upload to the marketplace when I'm done. Um, But nowadays, instead of doing that manually, what I do is that I have a GitHub Actions, So every extension I ever write, they're all on GitHub. And I have set up GitHub Actions that I can use for all the different ones. I just say GitHub Actions is basically just a file that you put in your repo with a certain name and a certain folder. And once you commit that to GitHub, GitHub Actions, which is kind of like Azure pipelines, but but on GitHub, start executing. It can run your test. It will build your project, but it can also publish to the marketplace. So I now have like this very streamlined workflow where as I'm building things out, fixing bugs, adding new features features. If I write the word in my commit message, the word release in square brackets anywhere in my commit message. That's a hook for my GitHub Actions to also publish to the marketplace. So it always builds and creates like this history of, of builds. that I can always send to people and say, Hey, can you check in this latest build that it works for you, that the bug that they've opened on me, for instance? And so they can help verify. And then uh, once we're happy, I can just you know commit with with the release and with re- word release in square brackets, and it's on the marketplace a minute later. So it's it's really really nice workflow now. And
0: those tools that you're describing you wrote those tools
1: yeah there are some of them that have been written by other members of the sort of extension community hmm. but the they're all open source they're all the idea is that you know we, we're we're unique as extenders of visual studio in that we can build our own tools usually you we can't do that in sort of any other area really but visual right. studio extenders can build their own tools so why why don't we <laughs> that was my thinking so, um, so that's how that came about. And some of those extensions, I've moved them. We've we've created a new GitHub organization called V6 Community. So GitHub.com/v6community, and it hosts a bunch of these things. That's where the community toolkit, NuGet packages. That's where all that source code is. It's where a bunch of of the extensions live there. And and I wanted to separate them from me because this is like this is bigger than me, right? The idea is that this is for the community to party on, and and it lives kind of in in that space where it's it's community owned and driven. So like, the yeah. toolkit is amazing and, and keeps getting more amazing. But but some of it for me,
0: it's some of your little v6s. For example, um, you recently published. Uh, I can hit Shift F2 and put yeah. in a file name. Yes. And and you hit one of my big asks, which is if I put in a .cs it comes up as a public class, which I love, which is great because
1: that, was, uh, that that always always bothered me that it was. I think did it do private internal? Pri- it did private? Yes, and now it does internal. So I don't even one know what I want. because I never used the add, you know add new item class. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: right. I mean, technically, I, I see why they did private, but it was infuriating because every time you created the class, you had to go market public. Um, so your little, that little gizmo. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to give you my big ask. You ready? Okay. And you can just put it in the back of your head and forget it. Let's hear it. What I want in Visual Studio is to be able to say, take a snapshot of everything where I am. All the open windows, all mm-hmm. the breakpoints, all the, you know, everything that has to do with my development, and let me save that under a name, yeah. and then switch. Because if I'm in the middle of development and the bug comes in i want to be able to save that under my name whatever s- switch to what i'm doing and then a little drop down and i can pick which one i want and i'm back in that environment exactly the way it was piece of cake right yeah it's not the
1: uh it's not um that hard it, it depends like how many things you want saved but I, i'm like looking right now I'm <sighs> someone wrote this extension like six months ago. what you're asking for exists really yes but like oh. what's it called what is it called um, See, all I have to do is ask. It's something and about it's, context context saver or, um, yeah, what what's it called? Yeah, I was, I was helping out the author a little bit, but um, but they ran with it and it, it's pretty awesome.
0: I'll have to look for that. And, and we can put it in the show notes if you can't think of it now.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, I can't think of it, and I'm look, looking, and I still can't. It still doesn't show up for me when I search for the word context. So maybe that's not the. Or maybe maybe it could also be that it's a paid one and it's not on the marketplace. Oh, I would pay for that absolutely.
0: Yeah, ninety nine cents. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: you know it's funny when
0: when I started, software was like inexpensive software. It was like sixty dollars. Mm-hmm. And now people, I hear people all the time say two dollars. No, I don't want to spend that. <laughs> and That's like what.
1: It's pretty crazy, but the whole the whole app world probably changed that, right? The phone apps and whatnot. Yes, yes, I I wanted I wanted Visual Studio Marketplace to be to be able to handle sort of you know the exchange of money, so that mm-hmm. you could, if you wanted to write an extension, you could charge for it. Like you sure. could write a freemium freemium kind of thing, or you could or in app purchases, or or just v- keep it very simple and you buy you you can't install unless you pay for it, or whatever, and that would be. I don't know what would happen. Would that be a good idea or a bad idea? Um, Not sure. But I like the idea of creating that incentive for people. Like, Why would you want to write an extension in your own spare time and then maintain it over the years Uh, and and fix bugs that people you don't know open up on you, right? Right what's the incentive and I think like hey if you can sell if you can charge five bucks and um and you can like if you can make a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever like that's a vacation at the end of the year right like you're getting something out of this that's significant right or a new laptop or whatever whatever it might be so um I thought that that could be a really interesting incentive but what is the what is the potential problem from doing that does it mean that oh all extensions are now paid and like no one wants to install anything they're like oh they just because everything costs money now and 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 um, so, so I, I'm not sure if it's a good idea or not, but I kind of yes. like the idea. If not, the yes, case. I can see why you might. Um, what yeah. is the name?
0: I just installed it. What is the name of uh, uh, that has that uh, Shift F2 and a number of other things? Um, it, I can't, I can't think of the name though. Of your, it's called which, Add Any File. Yes, but that's part of a of a of a group that I installed. I, I'm going gonna, gonna to pause. Oh,
1: the the basic essentials, or just the essentials? Uh, give me one yeah, second. second.
0: If I go to tools, options, you're in the options. I know that.
1: Uh, where are you? There's the tweaks. Tweaks. That's it. Tweaks 2022. Tweak. Tweaks is different from add any file from the shift F2 you're talking about. Those are two oh. separate extensions.
0: Okay. But so tell me
1: about tweaks. Yeah. <laughs> tweaks Tweak's is super interesting, I think, because it came about from... So right now, the, what I'm doing at at, um, at, at uh, the in the Visual Studio organization is that I'm like partly responsible for... Uh, dealing with all the customer feedback that we get. And and I run the developer community.visualstudio.com website where people report bugs and request features. And, you know, so I go through all these requests quite frequently to see what's new in there, where, what's the trends, what do people care about, and all that sort of stuff. And then at some point I'm like, okay, how many of these ideas could be written as extensions? Mm-hmm. So I started tagging them up. We can t- we can add tags to them. So I gave them a tag called extension And All of a sudden I had a lot of those, but a lot of them were so small that I don't think an ex- no one would really install an extension for like a, for a very small feature or a very small tweak mm. to an existing feature. So I thought, well, what if there was one extension that would basically has a, have a bunch of these little feature requests, a lot of these small tweaks to Visual Studio. Individually, they're just small tweaks, but mm. collectively, they're a larger thing. They, they remove a bunch of paper cuts and they make you a lot more effective and productive and happier and all stuff. So that was my idea. And then anyone that had this idea, anyone could then contribute to tweaks with a small little feature feature
0: hmm.
1: instead of rolling their own right so that was that was the idea and so that so tweaks was born and um yeah and i so every feature on there has a link back to the the feature request saying hey this is why this feature is here someone requested it uh for from visual studio itself but we we're doing it as part of this extension can, can you say for for people who are listening just a few of the things that are in there oh yeah so so it does it does a lot of things it um, so let's just take a few so you know how when you when you build Control shift b or whatever to build your c-sharp project the output window shows you uh sort of the ms build output but in order for you to change the verbosity of that to be detailed instead of minimal which is the default you have to go to tools options and then you have to figure out how to change it into uh, figure out where that thing is that you need to change the verbosity
0: yes we just went through that and it was not obvious
1: it's not obvious at all so one of the things Tweaks does is that it, it takes that drop down where you can select the verbosity level of MS build and it puts it in the output window. In the toolbar in the output window. So you just change it right there where it, like where you see it, where great. the output is, you just change the verbosity right there. That's great. Another one is that the debug toolbar, when you you know when you're in a debug session, Visual Studio shows you the debug toolbar, it has a toggle button now for enabling or disabling just my code. That's another thing you have to like go yes. deep in to find. Great. Um it, it figures out how to manu- to do control W to close tabs it's another one people have been asking for because that's what that's our muscle memory from all other apps control mm-hmm. w closes the tab right um so it does that you can clear the most recent use list um recent file recent projects there's not a clear button there a lot of small things right um, See, it's,
0: it's see uh, i noticed right now that the active tab has gone from having a line over it to being a different color is that you or is that just built into the new visual studio
1: that's the new visual Studio. you're on the preview yes yeah, so that's that's coming in Visual Studio 17.2, which is mm-hmm. uh, coming out soon, hopefully. Yeah, so that's that's uh, that was part of the Productivity Power Tools. And what happened when we released Visual Studio 2019 was that we had to make a breaking change uh, that impacted pretty much all extenders, all extensions. Mm-hmm. And there was there was one extension in the Productivity Power Tools that had to do with tabs that could no longer work. So the, the breaking change that we had to do in Visual Studio was that we had to delay load all the extensions until after Visual Studio had started up and the solution was done loading. Otherwise, it slowed down everything because up until that point, all extensions were loaded synchronously as Visual Studio itself was starting up. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that slows down the startup and people were kind of annoyed by that. So it was was a very sensible change. But now the problem with with that extension was it manipulated WPF directly in the tab well, like for the tabs for the documents. And it got in too late. So it could no longer get its hooks in sort of doing startup and so it was no longer able to do what it did so unfortunately that feature was then missing in visual Studio 2019 for the first time in many years and no one could write an extension that would fix that and so um we started building the, though there was different features in from that extension slowly mm-hmm. into visual studio as we could and so now it came time to do the different colors and uh so
0: I got one more ask you ready oh yeah I don't I'm not sure this is a v6 I work on um, a couple I don't think I'm unusual in this on a couple different projects simultaneously so I'll have one window open with my client and one window open with my server and another, you know, whatever. And because I use dark mode, I can never tell which one I'm in. Now, the truth is it does put the name of your project up in the, right-hand corner. Yes. But what I would love would be able to shade the colors slightly differently. Yes. So like that I can Peacock
1: extension to- for VS Code. Yep. You do have an extension? No, so VS Code has like a Peacock extension. Oh, VS extension Code, yes. yes. John Papa wrote that uh, a while ago. Yeah.
0: So that's another uh, Visual Studio thing I would love to
1: see. That That is one we can do, right? Because we can take cool. over, it's WPF, so we can change like the colors. But we're going to be delay loaded as I just mentioned. So you, you'll you mm-hmm. start up a new, new thing of Visual Studio. Maybe it's something that follows your solution. So each solution has a different color to it. So in that case, you can imagine like it won't change the color till the solution is done loading. Right. Right, that would be, be okay that it's not like instant, I guess, right? Right,
0: yeah, absolutely. And following the solution is a good idea because then it, it sort of automatically gives you what you want when you're working on two different
1: parts at the same time. Yeah, so we can do that. And we can even, um, like the solution has the notion of you can you can store variables in the SLN file. So we could, like give you like, you can write, let's say you right-click on the solution and you can then mm-hmm. select the color. Oh, You get like, a list of colors, right? And you say, oh, I want yeah. this one to be green. And then we store that. And then whenever you open that again, we read that variable and, and color. The out. We uh, just need to figure out what to color. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It could also be a theme. What if you can select your theme per solution? It's getting better and better. But that might be harder because now you need to install a bunch of different themes.
0: Right. But even if we just the background
1: or anything that's distinguished,
0: you know, the the, the background of Solution Explorer. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. Yeah. Just something that when you look at it, you know, okay, that's which one I'm in.
1: Something that's big enough that's easy to right distinguish. Yeah. Status so, bar, give it a different color. Or- that would do it even though that changes color based on its context. So people don't know this, but the, the status bar changes. So when you don't have, let's see if I remember it right. If, when you don't have a solution loaded, the status bar is blue. When you have a solution loaded, the status bar turns purple. When you're debugging, it turns orange. Yes. I feel like yes. there's one more color. And there is the, when the uh, when your uh,
0: uh, simulator comes up, it turns something like magenta.
1: Ah, yeah. Okay, there you go. So those are the four colors. So maybe we should find somewhere else too. Like we could, we could change the logo. I'm going to get in trouble for that if I... <laughs> <laughs> i don't or think they want you to change the logo no. that would take three years of lawyers oh my god Not <laughs> <How> worth it <laughs> yeah but anyone can like i mean it's not illegal to do i wouldn't do it because i'm i work at microsoft that would mm-hmm. not be smart of me but if anyone else wanted to do it they, it's an option right how long have you been with microsoft i'm coming up on 12 years wow in uh, november yeah Yeah.
0: i was there for five years and i loved it and had they not told me i needed to move to uh to the west coast uh I would still be at Microsoft. Some very, very bright people, very good people, and uh, yeah. great atmosphere.
1: And these days they wouldn't tell you that probably because all right the, things have changed. Yeah, remote work and all that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's been it's been good. Twelve years, all of them Visual Studio, but in different different capacities. What team were you on? Uh, I was
0: uh, on what has become the uh, what is John Puppa's team called now? The community, the cloud advocates. Yeah, except I wasn't cloud. I mean, I was essentially an advocate. And originally it was for Silverlight. Remember Silverlight?
1: Oh, yeah, evangelist team, right?
0: Yes, exactly. And then for a while I worked on the uh, Windows Phone evangelism. That was a doomed
1: Andrew (laughs) Bryant's So you weren't to the Mix conferences back then? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Me too. I, absolutely. I went to one before I even started at Microsoft. Uh, it was in Vegas, and we traveled over. Um, I was doing I was doing a web, This is, I lived in Denmark at the time, so I did a project for Microsoft Switzerland um, to showcase all the stuff that Internet Explorer 8 could do. People didn't know mm-hmm. that. Internet Explorer 8 was actually the first browser that I think 99% supported all of CSS 2.1 mm-hmm. and the spe- the specification for CSS. And so they wanted some showcase, like a website that would show all these different things you could do as an author of, you know, websites. Whatever. And as payment for that, they, they were asking, hey, how much do you want for that? I'm like, oh, man, if I give if I give a price, then someone else is just going to be cheaper, right? right and then I'm not right. going to get the gig. Because it was a very easy gig to do. Uh, so I'm like, no, 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 give me a ticket to the Mix conference and a... And a hotel room and a and a plane ticket mhm and they did. That's great. So yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I would. Sp- I would. Sp- Do you remember
0: um, Blend for oh, yeah. for its um, mm-hmm. Silverlight? Oh yeah. I would. I would happily spend hundreds of dollars on a, on a blend for for uh, for um, Xamarin because we're doing by hand a lot of what we you know visual states now and yeah. and uh, layout and absolute layout and animation all those things that Blend handle. But you know, hot reload definitely goes a long way. But yeah. boy, a complete designer would be sweet.
1: It would. And uh, so, part when Blend came out, that was a, that was like a trio of apps, right? There was ex- Expression Blend, then there was Expression mm-hmm. Web, and was there an Expression Video something? There was a video decoder, maybe that was part of Blend. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I remember Expression Web, so that was I think that was basically Front Page, mm-hmm. um, reskinned and repurposed. That was, but that was sort I of that front page. surface yeah. of Expression Web. Yeah, you got that.
0: Now I had I had a copy of the first Visual Studio. If I'd only hung on to that, it'd be yeah, a collector's item now.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I had believe, if, as I
0: remember it, I could be wrong, but as I remember it, they actually bought their first version from Lightspeed. Um, I'm not sure if I misremember that or that's what I remember. But when I, because I was a C program and when i switched over to visual studio it was you know it was amazing it was just like <laughs> it saved so much work from from doing it by hand
1: oh yeah Remember i was a, so i back. was a vb i was a vb programmer and i mm-hmm. got the um, i got the first i got they had back then they had the academic version and that was the one i could afford <laughs> so that was actually my first software that i ever bought was mm-hmm. uh, was a visual studio what was it called Visual Studio.net, i guess it was uh, called
0: it. I think it was just called Microsoft Visual Studio, but don't
1: quote me. This was Visual Studio. It was yeah, it was not Visual Studio 97. It was Visual Studio the first .NET version. So in 2002, uh-huh. okay, I guess at, at that point I've been using VB mm-hmm. in in the old Visual Studio, but that was kind of. Um, that wasn't my own. That wasn't the one I bought.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you very briefly. I started in C and then I went to C++ and then in 2000, I got the early bits for C Sharp and I never looked back. C, I just thought C Sharp was, mm-hmm. first of all, the just start with the memory management and, uh, and go from there.
1: I remember the early days of the C Sharp editor. I did not like C Sharp. I stayed with VB or net. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until Visual Studio hit uh, 2005, version 2005, which was the uh, codename Whitby, the Whitby release. I remember that. Yeah, that was uh, that was when I felt like, okay, now I can do C Sharp. Now the C Sharp editing experience is kind of getting close enough to the vb.net. Remember Visual Basic had been like developed for so long that it had background compilation. So you would get like, it would compile your code as you wrote it. <laughs> and so, so it could give you this this very strong IntelliSense and error wait, codes wait. and all all sort of stuff that you wouldn't get in c-sharp because it didn't have background compilation right but then in 2005 it finally got like more of the features and of course as the years went on and on like it's it's they're on par but it, i felt like in the early days it took time for c-sharp to catch up to vpnet
0: well my new my new uh blows me out of the water feature is IntelliCode. yeah <laughs> that, that has gotten amazing um there were times that the predict an entire line of code. For it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I want. And sometimes it gets a little in the way, but I mean, it's just, and it seems to be learning, which is really scary. Yeah, it gets better and better. So let's go back to v6 for a moment. If if, if someone came to you, and I'm not, but if someone came to you and said, I want to get started with v6, uh-huh. where would they turn?
1: I always send them to v6 Cookbook. Dot com okay uh, so that's also uh, that's also a community driven set of documentation so I, I told you earlier that the documentation is not very good for writing extensions so as part of this community effort we also redid the documentation and we mm-hmm. put that on a website called v6 cookbook.com it uses the extensibility essentials and the toolkit so it's all based on kind of the latest and greatest uh, if, if you consider you know that at the latest and greatest because it's all unofficial right it's all built by the community for the community um, so that's a great place to start. It, not only does it have samples and like kind of nice walkthroughs and recipes for how to do different things and tips and tricks. It also has a bunch of small little videos. So if you are, uh, some people are like visual learners that way. Videos are really good at showing you very quickly the, you know, to demystify what it is that we're about to do. Mm-hmm. So, oh, is that all the effort I have to put in, right? That you, you know what the effort then is required of you before you kind of read through the article and see all the samples and all that stuff stuff so so I feel like the combination of video and the written word is like it's very powerful. And those videos are really short, like between two and five minutes. So um yeah v6cookbook.com that is the one stop shop I'd say
0: great great well we'll put a couple of links on the on the show notes so people can find things as you've mentioned. Um perfect and, and now just before we stop I want to ask you a personal question.
1: You 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 grew up in Denmark?
0: Yes. Because your English is astounding. I'm just astounding. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well I've been here for twelve years that
0: yeah help. I wouldn't if I was in Denmark, Denmark for 12 years, I'd be able to say hello and
1: goodbye. So, <laughs> well, but, but you didn't grow up with Danish television and you know, right. um, so I grew up with English television, American television, and mu- music, and all this sort of stuff, which yes. everyone over there does, right? And uh, they don't. So in that part, so in those countries, in Scandinavian countries and others as well, they don't uh, dub the TV shows. So it's like the original actors' voices, and then you just have you know Danish subtitles. Right. So good way to uh, learn a lot a of exposure to the to to English from like an yes. early age. Yeah. Well, what you can always tell is when someone speaks
0: idiomatic English. Because it's you know it's, it's impossible to learn until you've fully integrated English into your brain
1: mm. and
0: uh, so just amazing Americans are very provincial. you know we, we, we own English or to some degree own English and and so we have this attitude of well, that's all we need, which is crazy but and, and the country is shifting to be uh, more and more people speaking Spanish. so you would think that we would pay attention, but uh, that's a whole <laughs> other whole other podcast yeah right. <laughs> Well, I can't thank you enough for your time and for doing this. This was a great, great insight into V six and and into the work you're doing.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to that to have been on and uh, you know, anytime, man. Anytime. Yeah, I really appreciate that. All right. Keep those things in the back of your head. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you.